Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We're going to turn our attention now, having just last time talked about the rich young ruler, we'll turn our attention now to the reaction after that. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. The same thing is found in the parallel accounts in Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 31, and Luke chapter 18, verses 24 through 30. But for our purposes today, we'll be reading Matthew 19, 23 through 30. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter responded and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will, what then will be there for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in the, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, on account of my name, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last first. I think the reaction of the rich young ruler is what prompted Jesus to make the statements concerning the difficulty of a rich man entering into heaven. And we might ask, why is it so difficult? And I think the answer to that is because of the love of riches. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wealth tends to make a man think that he is totally self-sufficient and that he is totally independent. It tends to make a man want more and more and takes over the place of supreme importance in his life. It tends to allure and entice with the entanglements of sin. When the disciples responded with amazement, Jesus basically repeated his words and added the illustration of the camel through the eye of the needle. This was a proverbial expression meant to show absolute impossibility. Some have tried to lessen the force of Jesus' words by saying that he was referring to two gates of the city, the large one for beasts of burden and the small one for foot passengers. This smaller gate is now called the needle's eye. But there is no evidence whatsoever that it was so called in the time of Jesus. Once again, the disciples were astonished, and the reason for their astonishment is easy to ascertain. They were accustomed to viewing the possession of great wealth as evidence of divine favor. 
there is even good indication that they thought their positions in the kingdom would well be filled with riches and honor. Jesus spoke about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If even this seemingly virtuous rich man could not enter into the kingdom, who then could be saved? With God, a man's heart can be changed, and he can be saved. You know, Greg, one verse prior to the verse you read in 1 Timothy 6, this verse is 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I, I don't know anybody who uh, would turn down a, hand, a, a bag of money if it was handed to them. You know, who doesn't, who doesn't desire money? I mean, this is what's so scary to me about that and this passage in Matthew is that, I mean, there's nothing greater than the kingdom of heaven than, than I want. I mean, all of us want to at- obtain and yet, he says, here's this obstacle that is going to make it very hard for you to get there. And that, that should just be really sobering thought, especially for us in this country with the wealth that we have. That um, it is one thing, and we should be thankful for, for our blessings. At the same time, we need to recognize the temptation that it could bring. And I'm, I'm mindful of the words of Agur. In uh, Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, where it says, uh, where he prays both that God would keep him from poverty, but also from great riches, lest he deny. So we need to be aware uh, that money can become an idol to us and can uh, can cause us to risk risk heaven. I think, too, that that we, with riches, focus so much on, on getting more and getting as, as much as possible. Um, verses 28 and 29, we certainly see... 28 is a, is a focus to the in specific application to the disciples. But verse 29 um, is certainly something for all of us uh, in particular, that um, whether it's leaving houses, brothers or sisters, and, there, and there's a more listed there. It says, on account of Jesus' name, we'll receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So the pursuit of riches is oftentimes looking to gain more and more and more. But in reality, if your pursuit is leaving that behind and pursuing Jesus, you're going to receive something far more valuable, much more valuable in the form of um, eternal life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think there's uh, some considerations that need to be made concerning the question of Peter. Uh, What suggested Peter's question? Well, he heard the conversation with the rich young ruler, and he heard that which followed. The young man had been challenged to leave all and follow Christ. And ultimately, at that time, he had refused. As Peter maybe sees him disappearing in the distance, returning to his riches, returning to his worldly cares and his worldly pursuits, and in doing so, closing the gates of the kingdom against himself, the thought comes that the apostles have done what the young man refused to do. If earthly riches are so perilous, of what sort is to be the reward that awaits those who renounce all for Christ? Then we need to ask the question, what is the regeneration in the throne? The New Testament proclaims a new heaven and a new earth. God is to make all things new in the glorious time when a son shall come to judge the world. This is the regeneration. 
The apostles who have sacrificed and lived for Christ shall have special places of honor in that day. There's another interpretation that refers to the regeneration to the day of Pentecost and setting up of the church. The twelve apostles are upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel in the sense of proclaiming the means of pardon at Pentecost and following. The closing warning of this discourse confirms the former interpretation. But how do you receive a hundredfold? This does not mean a hundredfold in kind, or it would invite the very thing which Jesus has denounced. Men would seek the kingdom and surrender earthly riches in order to get more earthly riches as an investment proposition. It does not mean that if a person has to part with company with his father and mother in order to do God's work, that he will receive a hundred fathers and mothers, but that the fellowship in the kingdom will more than compensate for any worldly and godless people with whom he has to part, no matter how close the blood relationship has been. The joys of the spiritual kingdom will outweigh by far the earthly riches and pleasures surrendered. Uh, Greg, I just wanted to point out one thing that this rich young ruler, if he were in a church, if he were in a church assembly today, he would be viewed by probably the entire church as as one of our great members. You know, th- this he's walked away from Jesus, and yet uh, he's a good moral man. I mean, unless he's completely lying, which I don't think he is, he keeps lots of the commandments. But he loves his riches. And so I think it's understandable that Peter is shaken here. In, like He's trying to find out where, where does he fit in. Because if this man is not saved, where do I fit into this? That's why he, who then can be saved? And why he would seek to differentiate himself from this man. Saying, okay, all right, so I am different from him. He... He wasn't willing to follow you. I was. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> you know, so what do I get? And I think as we read, chap- um, you know, this parable uh, in chapter 20 and the future here about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, contextually, just appreciate we are, uh, we are looking at Jesus' response to uh, the question that Peter asked. Yeah, I think to that same point, it is a, a danger to be aligned in the view that the disciples have of, you know, if the rich can't be saved, then who's going to be, who's going to be saved? And we could look at that, and um, the Bible talks about, you know, giving more so honor to the, the rich that comes in uh, into a church assembly versus the one who may be um, poor physically in this world, and material things. Um, and it's an, important to make sure that we're, regardless of who walks through that door, um, and however well off they may be, or the, the opposite, that we are treating them as a honored guest, as someone, um, if they're a visitor, treating them as someone that it, that Jesus died for and wants to have a relationship with, regardless of how many um, dollars may be to their name. Okay, that moves us on to the next thing, which is following right along in Matthew. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and it is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Ross, do you want to read those? Sure. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. 
And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few chosen. The particulars of this parable are as follows. The owner of the vineyard went out to find workers early in the morning, and he found some, talked with them, and struck an agreement that they would work for a denarius a day each. The King James Version says, a penny. The denarius was a Roman coin worth about 20 cents, and was the regular rate of pay for a day laborer. In Palestine, a man was hired at dawn and paid at sunset. Well, the early morning hours pass, and the owner goes again to the marketplace and search for additional workers. He finds additional workers at the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours. The Jews divided the daytime into twelve equal parts. The length of the hour depended upon the length of the day. The third hour would be approximately 9 a.m., the sixth about noon, the ninth would be mid-afternoon, and the eleventh hour would be about five o'clock. We should note that the owner, as he contacts different workers throughout the day, reaches no agreement concerning pay. He simply said, whatever is right, I will give you. It might also be important to note that it appears that he hired all that he could find, and none of them refused to go into the vineyard. They evidently did not feel themselves to be in a position to bargain. They only wanted a chance to work and they committed themselves to the goodness of the owner. The law of Moses stated in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 15 states, At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the gun go or gun neither shall the sun go down upon it. So in the evening, the laborers were called in and given their wages, beginning 
with the last hired unto the first. And they were generously treated, paid in full according to what those early hours had agreed upon. And so it went with all the rest, payment in full, although they worked only a partial day. Then it came time to pay the workers who had been hired first, those who had been laboring the entire day. These, having seen what the others were paid, expected to receive more, and they were paid the same amount. And they responded with anger, saying, wait a minute. They didn't actually say that. That's I put that in there. But essentially they're saying, wait a minute. We've worked all day long, and they've worked one hour, and you make them equal to us, and we are the ones who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Well, you know, you can kind of appreciate uh, where they're coming from, uh, although they, uh, they received what they had agreed to. And I think the key to understanding this uh, is, is identifying how it applies to the previous section and, uh, and also appreciating the fact that these first-hour laborers who are contractual workers uh, are, are in a really bad spot. Phrases like, the first will be last and the last first, many called, few chosen, those are used in various contexts, uh, always talking about people who are not saved. In Matthew 22, verse 10, with the parable of the great feast, a man who was not properly clothed was bound hand and foot and cast out into the fire. And then it says, many are called, but few are chosen. So these are people who are not in a good relationship with God, and they are receiving their wages uh, indeed. But as a parable, what do you suppose those wages uh, refer to? Uh, well, Romans chapter 6, 23 tells us uh, you know, that the wages of sin is death. They're going to get what's coming to them. And as Greg pointed out, the others, the others who followed after the landowner, uh, not contractually, but by faith, those who just received and trusted what he said, that you will receive what is right. Whatever is right, I will give you. Uh, that's faith. That's trust. And I think that's the message that Jesus is trying to share with Peter, who is saying, all right, we've 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 left all. What will we receive? Uh, well, you know, I'm going to save you. It's going to be great. But you know what? You don't have to have a complete understanding of everything that you're going to get. You just trust me and and you will find that you're going to get more than you imagined and more than you deserve, which is what the last hour laborers got. Yeah, I think to that, um, you know, God gives this great gift to all people. We, we should be thankful that we're all able to have this great opportunity, that we're able to accept it, that others are able to accept it, regardless if we were a third hour or worker or an 11th hour worker that God gives this um, reward and it's it's for all of us regardless of the stage of life we're in if we for example as a, in a Christian standpoint if we were a Christian early on in our lives versus if we were a Christian later on in our lives when we first started our walk with Jesus the result and the reward is the same um, and it, it kind of reminds me of Luke 15 with the, the brother in the parable of the prodigal son the brother that stays and how he uh, is upset that this brother that had left 
um, is going to receive this great feast and rejoicing. And it was, I, I never left you. Where, where was these, this opportunity for me and for my friends? And the, the joy, though, that the Father had over the one that had returned. Um, it's this, this gift has been given to all of us. We're all able to obtain it. And it's such a blessing that we're able to, to have. And um, I think, too, also to that point is they're, they're upset. Um, as we saw in verse 10, they grumbled in verse 11 um, about how they had received the same wage even though they had worked much longer hours. And God's response, um, the, the master's response there, um, being God, is the, am I doing you wrong? I, did I, do you not agree to, with me for a denarius? It's, you know, I'm giving you this gift. It's not something that um, God is looking for uh, our approval in terms of is it fair um, God's offered the gift, and you know we can look at it and say, uh, "We, we, Jesus, I gave up all of this for you, like Peter, and uh, and did it for this long amount of time." And it's that's not what it's about. Uh, it's about regardless of where we are, giving it up for for God, for Christ, and living for Him, um, regardless of that where we may be uh, in that life or in that stage of um, working, as we see in this parable. You know, it seems to me that when all is said and done, the fundamental principle of the parable is that salvation is the free gift of God and we cannot dictate to God how he is to give it. God keeps his promises. Each who labors faithfully according to his opportunities will be graciously rewarded of God. If the first turns out to be last and the last turns out to be first, that's God's business and not ours. In the kingdom of heaven, equality is the rule. The work performed by the disciples of the Lord, any disciple, is transcended by a reward equal for all, even though it is obvious that the work and the times engaged in it will vary from individual to individual. When a person becomes a Christian through obedience to the gospel, he does not receive a carefully calculated portion of forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, joy, happiness, and the assurance of heaven based upon how much time he has to labor in the kingdom. As Jacob was making the point, it, it, it is the same for if we've been Christians for a long time or Christians for a very short time. And I find great confidence and great courage and, and uh, comfort in that. I think I've often said to myself that if the best place to pass from this life would be when you rise out of the waters of baptism because then you are promised that, that reward at that point in time provided you remain faithful. The 11th hour cannot be used to represent people who have rejected the Lord all their lives and then give him the last few minutes in what has come to be called a deathbed confession. When the owner went into the marketplace, he did not find men who had refused earlier invitations to work. He found others who had not yet had the opportunity. Those individuals hired in the eleventh hour in the parable represent those who respond when they have the opportunity and then do the best they can for the remainder of their lives. Well, that's going to have to do it for this particular program. We appreciate each and every one of you who is listening. I encourage you to get in touch with us by going through the website 
which is www.nkcofc.com, and let us know. We'd love to talk to you. Until next time, then, thanks again for listening.